It's okay to stay in his presence just a little while longer. We've had such a beautiful worship service. Let's just take a couple more minutes and just thank the Lord for his presence here. Jesus, we're just so thankful for your presence, Lord. We feel you so strongly in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, so many of us have come with needs today, and we've come to be ministered to, and that's what the Spirit of the Lord does. He does that for us when we reach out for him, and the Lord shows up to do exactly that, to minister to each and every one of us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. This uh, afternoon, it's lovely to see everybody. Um, if you're new to us this morning, this afternoon, how many uh, months in now have we switched to an afternoon service? I just can't get that out of my language. This morning, this morning. Uh, but this afternoon, and it is so lovely to see everyone's face. And so, <clears throat> this morning, this there we go, this afternoon... It really, you just don't even think about it. This afternoon, um, I, I wanted to share something that, um, what was it? Is it the Get, get in the Word Challenge that Sister Leela had challenged us with a couple months ago? And so I wanted to share something uh, this afternoon that being a part of that Get in the Word Challenge, what it was is... Um, Pastor Leela, a couple months ago, had challenged each of us, get into that word of God and just let it speak. You know, we, we love the resources and uh, we love books about stories of the Bible and those things are all well and good. But she had challenged us to get in the word, get with some friends, you know, get with some uh, people who want to grow, anybody, new people, you know, friends, uh, members of the church, and, and get in these little uh, Bible study groups and just read the word together. And whenever you want to stop and chat about something, stop and chat about something. So um, I got together uh, a little group, and uh, we've been working through the Bible chronologically, I was hoping that it will help me remember things, like remember events sequentially better. I don't know, it's probably a me problem then, if, you know, uh, I don't know if that's working in that way, but we're certainly uh, learning and we're certainly growing. And so um, where we are in our chronological Bible is a couple weeks ago, we ended in the book of Genesis. We had been in Job for a little while, and now we were back in Genesis, and we kind of ended uh, in uh, Genesis, and now we're into the first few chapters of Exodus, so we're working through that. But anyway, the end of uh, Genesis is this incredible story, and I'm sure it's familiar to many here, <clears throat> but if it's not, you can get familiar today with it. Genesis ends with um, the story of the life of Joseph, the children's story is called the Joseph in the Coat of Many Colors. But the book of Genesis in chapters 35, or 37 through 50 ends with this story and uh, about the life of Joseph. And there's so much to learn from this story. We discussed a few things in, in our little Get in the Word Challenge Bible study, uh, but there's so much. We could have stayed in that story for a long time. 
Uh, and so that's where I'm kind of planting today is uh, chapters 37, uh, most of uh, chapters 37 and 39 through 50 of Genesis. And I'm going to be honest, I'm double dipping a little bit because in our children and youth, which we have this afternoon, in our classes this afternoon, we are beginning the study on Joseph and his life as well. And I've got the youth class. So there will be a pop quiz. No, I'm kidding. No pop quiz, but it might help to, you know, listen here so we can kind of chew on it there in class. Uh, so that's kind of, that was kind of fun for me. It just happened to, oh, look at that, the lessons on Joseph, and here I am in Joseph this morning. So I'm going to be focusing on chapters 37 um, and then chapters 39 through 41 of the story and life of Joseph um, and a few events that happen uh, in those chapters. And so I didn't give the AV team, uh, that's our audiovisual team, I didn't give them all of the scriptures. I'm going to be kind of um, summarizing the stories in these chapters. And so I do have a main scripture text I will be getting to. But for now, we can just open our ears. Um, and I'm sure this story is, is familiar to many. You can kind of go along the sequence of the life of Joseph in your own mind or in your, your Bible or on your phone if you want. I'm in chapter 37 of Genesis. And so chapter 37 <clears throat> begins, it tells us that this is the account of Jacob, who is Joseph's father, and his family. And the next thing you know, in verse 2, it says that Joseph is 17 years old. So we go from his father you know, being named uh, to finding that Joseph is now a teenager, he's 17 years old, and he tends to his father's flock of sheep. And we're also told that he has some half-brothers uh, that he worked with in, in caring for uh, the flocks. And we also know that in these first few verses of chapter 37 that Jacob loved Joseph more than his brothers. Joseph was one of two sons born between Jacob and Rachel, whom Jacob favored and truly loved. She was the wife who he favored and, and truly loved. And he also had these 10 other older half-brothers. And in verse 3 of chapter 37, many of us are uh, familiar with this part, Jacob gives his son, Joseph, a beautiful colored jacket or robe, depending on your translation, as a gift. So Joseph receives this uh, generous, beautiful gift from his father. And so the beginning of Joseph's story in Genesis 37 begins with this trouble that follows in the aftermath of receiving this gift from his father. In the next several verses, the seed of hate that his brothers had against him that had been planted in, uh, in their hearts because of the gift it begins to kind of manifest and grow. And so Joseph decides to share dreams that he has that God give, gave him with his brothers. And it's about him, uh, this grain. It's this image, imagery of grain uh, in a field. And the grain, his brother's grain, bows down to his grain. So he shares this dream with his brothers. And the scripture says that they hated him even more. After him sharing this dream, they were insulted that Joseph thought he could, you know, what do you think, you're going to be king, it says? What do you think you're going to, and you're going to rule over us someday? That's a joke, you know. 
And of course, uh, Joseph fans the fire. Maybe he just was so giddy with his dreams from the Lord, I don't know. But he decides that when he has another dream about this same sort of message from the Lord, he shares it with his brothers again. <laughs> the first response wasn't that great. I mean, I would have just kind of you know, tight-lipped or something, hit it in my heart, do something else. Uh, but he tells his brothers, and he also tells his father, I've had this, this second dream the Lord gave me, but in this dream, the creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to me as well. And his father kind of scolds him, the scripture says, like his brothers were, you know, mad about it. His dad's like, really? You're, you know, what kind of dream is that? But then the scripture says that his father actually wondered what it meant. He kind of scolded him, but then he was like, well, I wonder if there's something I should, you know, should, we should uh, believe about that. And I think that Jacob, his father, must have believed somewhere in his heart that God had a plan for Joseph's life. So one day, you know, like a lot of these biblical stories in the Old Testament especially, Jacob's other sons, they're out shepherding their flocks, and Jacob asked Joseph to go and check on them to bring him back a report about his brothers. And so Joseph does that, and as his brothers see him approaching, they plot to kill him. They're just so done with, you know, this favoritism uh, with, with uh, Joseph, and they just decide to get rid of him. And, you know, I, I, I've been talking to friends. We're going to leave it at friends, generic friends. You know, Joseph's like 17 years old, right? And I know that teenagers seem to be a special group to parent. But I was just like, really? To just kill him? I mean, I know they can be difficult, but gosh, that seems a little extreme. I mean, you know, it's hyper is it hyperbole? Is that the right word? My my friends, generic friends, 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 say it in hyperbole, maybe maybe, but this wasn't that. Um, they really did plot to kill him, and um apparently Joseph's oldest brother that, okay, all right, you know, I'm coming back down a little bit from my anger. Maybe plotting to kill him is a little bit much. So let's just, you know, kind of throw him, throw him in a hole. Let's just kind of scare him a little bit, get him to kind of, you know, submit to us as his authority, that type of thing, teach him a lesson, and I'll go back and I'll get him later, you know. But actually, what in fact happens is that Joseph is thrown in the pit. They remove the beautiful jacket off of him, and... Uh, Traders come by, and his brothers decide to sell him for some silver, and off Joseph goes. And so rather than Joseph returning to his father with this report, the brothers return to their father, and they show him this blood-stained garment. They had dipped it in and staged this um, death of Joseph in animal blood and said, look what's happened, father, this is what we found. Joseph's nowhere to be seen. So they leave their father to kind of deduce that his favorite son was dead. And um, I don't know how they could live with themselves doing that to their father, with that kind of lie. I don't know. I don't know. But that's the way the story uh, goes. And, you know, Joseph didn't necessarily do anything wrong to, to them to deserve this. But the brothers hurt their father deeply by lying to him. Uh, and it just seems so extreme. And so... Chapter 37 ends with Joseph being sold again. The traders that bought him sell him again then to a man named Potiphar, who was an officer 
of the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so eventually in the story, if we read on through chapter 50, we come to know that his being sold to Potiphar was one of the best things that could have happened to him in this situation um, because he is placed where he needs to be in order for the Lord to fulfill the dream and the promise that he had given him that we write about in the beginning of the story. So I'm skip up to chapter 39 picks up and Joseph is serving in Potiphar's household. He's doing very well. He found favor with Potiphar and um, he makes him, you know, Potiphar makes him his personal attendant. He oversees his whole household. The scripture says in 39 verse 2 that the Lord was with Joseph. And so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. And then a few verses down, it says that Potiphar, he he didn't have a care in the world. It says he didn't have to worry about anything except what to eat. Because Joseph was that good of an attendant of his household. And then there's a twist in the story, and it kind of turns bad again for Joseph when Potiphar's wife decides that she wants Joseph for herself. So she had become attracted to him as he had been uh, the attendant of their household, and she tries to tempt Joseph several times, and he rejects her advances, and she doesn't like that. So she seeks revenge, lies, poor Joseph, found in someone else's lie again, and accuses Joseph of trying to take advantage of her, which angers her husband Potiphar. And so chapter 39 ends with Joseph being wrongfully thrown into prison. We move into chapter 40, and it begins with the word sometime later. So time is passing. These things, I'm running through this real quick this morning, but time is passing, and Joseph has been sitting in prison Not a very promising place, but when we read the rest of verse 1, chapter 40, Joseph is joined in prison with the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. He kind of makes the best of his situation. These other guys that have angered Pharaoh are thrown into prison. And um, in prison, they get to know each other. You know, they, they start talking. They're who they have to talk to. And they both share a dream, the cupbearer, and the baker shared dreams with Joseph. Joseph is this dream interpreter. And Joseph, having this God-given gift, interprets their dreams for them. And so uh, the baker's interpretation was a dire end. And he does end up being executed like Joseph has told him. But the cupbearer received a positive interpretation. And because of that, Joseph requested that he put in a good word for him when he returned to Pharaoh's household. So while chapter 40 ends well for the cupbearer, he gets out of prison, he's restored into Pharaoh's household, it doesn't end so well for Joseph because verse 23 says that the cupbearer, when he got back in the household of Pharaoh, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. And so Joseph remains in prison for being wrongly accused for something for two more years. And so this is my last chapter summary, is chapter 41, and this is where I'm going to settle. It begins with Pharaoh's dreams. Now we have Pharaoh, who has had these dreams of prosperity and then famine. 
And he's deeply disturbed by these dreams. You know, he's the ruler of Egypt. He's responsible for this great kingdom. And these dreams are coming at him like there's success and then there's, there's dire uh, consequence and there's famine and there's destruction. And so he calls on anyone in the kingdom. I feel, I feel like it would be like a panic. Anybody who could tell me what these means. What do you do? What do you do? What do you, what do you know? What do you know? What do you know? Just come and tell me what these dreams mean. But nobody, scripture says, nobody could do it. And uh, until the chief cupbearer, the one who forgot Joseph for a couple years, remembered him and his ability to interpret dreams. And so the cupbearer tells Joseph in verse 14. Should I switch over? Okay, I think that's all right. Um, The cupbearer says to the pharaoh, you need to, this Joseph guy is in prison, you need to hear from him, he can interpret dreams, he can do that for you. And so uh, Joseph comes and does that. He gives an interpretation to Pharaoh of his dreams um, and says that Egypt would have seven years of great plenty of grains and crops, but it would be followed by seven years of great famine. And he recommends that someone be put in charge to store away grain for the seven years of famine. He kind of gives him a solution. And that Pharaoh could save his people by doing so from famine and destruction if he would do what Joseph was instructing him to do. And so Pharaoh's very pleased. He's impressed with this interpretation. He listens to the advice of Joseph. And um, he appoints Joseph to being the second in command of all of Egypt. So he goes from sitting in prison for several years to being this uh, person only, you know, second basically to Pharaoh. And so by the end of chapter 41, Joseph's made this great ruler of Egypt. And this is where his story kind of turns for the better. Uh, His dreams are fulfilled uh, from the Lord, are fulfilled from when he was that 17-year-old. And um, he rules successfully in Egypt. And not through the famine and through the great plenty. And not only does he save Egypt as a nation, but he saves the surrounding nations as well from starving and destruction. And his dreams are also finally fulfilled. uh, If we read into chapters uh, 48, 49, 50 at the end of his story, because we find out that his father and his brother, now all brothers, now all these years later, travel from their country to get grain from Egypt during the famine. And to make this long story short, they encountered their son and the brother. You know, their father comes, the brothers come, but they don't recognize him. You know, years have gone by. He's probably changed. They don't recognize who they are dealing with, but they come to receive from Egypt in their plenty. And they end up bowing before him, just like his dream had said they would. And eventually, it is revealed that it is Joseph that before them and it you know Joseph extends forgiveness and mercy to his brothers and you know I'm not going to get into uh, the details of the end of that story but we know that was meant what was meant for evil which is this uh, chapter 50 has a verse that says what was meant for evil Joseph says the Lord turned to good and that's in a nutshell the story of Joseph So now, if I could switch to my main text this morning, I would like to read out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. 
Okay, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. The book of Proverbs is a biblical wisdom literature, uh, is biblical wisdom literature that is filled with sayings of the wisdom of God. And this Hebrew word for wisdom means knowledge, like the head knowledge. I know these things about God, uh, but it equally means action or applied knowledge. And so I see the wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. This trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I see this wisdom applied in the life of Joseph. So when I read a proverb like this, it sounds all well and good. I want that. Uh, but I, but I kind of immediately think, well, that's nice, but how? I'm going to switch on over. All right, are we? Okay, that's good. We don't need the white noise. That makes me sleepy because I put white noise on for my kids at night. So now my brain associates the with bedtime. So I'm about ready to fall asleep in the middle of, of the message. But that's a problem, a little problematic for all of you. Anyway, you guys would carry on. You really don't need me. But um, anyway, when I, uh, uh, so back to Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Um, you know, I, I want to know how, how to live like this. If this is wisdom of God, if this is what God has for us, and, and I want to I know how to do that. So how? Well, I once read that Proverbs are possibilities. In other words, these verses aren't just nice sayings to make us feel good or to make us feel bad. If you've read some of the other Proverbs, I mean, yikes. But, you know, but they are possible. And so when I read this, these verses in Proverbs, you know, I want to know how. And I understand things better. I'm sure there's some of us around here that are like me. I understand things better with examples. And so I if there's a story that demonstrates the how of this Proverbs passage and how this can be lived out and applied to a life, it's the story of Joseph. As we look at the parts of this verse, I just want to draw out some of the meanings of in, these, in the Hebrew words there because so much gets lost when we translate into in the English language. It's just a, a part of translation that happens sometimes. And so thankfully, you know, there's resources out there and, that you can use to kind of look at um, the parts of the original language. And so if we start with the first part of this proverb, trust in the Lord, I want to apply Joseph's story, at least the part that we read, to, to this proverb. And this word trust is about the ability to rely on something or someone for help or protection. That makes sense. In this passage, the object of secure trust, this trust in the Lord, is the Lord who is reliable the Lord cannot be unreliable. It's just not in his character. So trust is often based on relationship, a secure relationship. That's what this trust is, 
uh, telling us that it's this trust that it is secure. It's something you can lean on that won't fall down. And after reading Joseph's story, it's evident to me that Joseph had a relationship with God, with the Lord. He knew God. And this is key to recognize, I think, at the outset of Joseph's story, when we start reading about him as a 17-year-old uh, boy, or young man, really, because of the unexpected events that occurred throughout Joseph's life. And I imagine that he knew well the story of his own existence. You know, this is, we start, as parents, we as, you know, people around the young kids of the church, we tell them stories that start, you know, helping them to understand relationship with you, relationship with God. And I imagine that uh, he knew the story, that he was a gift from God to his parents, Jacob and Rachel, that he was an answer to their prayers. And so this relationship with the Lord, this language, started early for him. And relationship is important because I think of another biblical story um, in which God wanted to use a man named Gideon to fulfill his plan. But Gideon's response to God was kind of the opposite of Joseph's. He struggled with trusting God, and that's not a bad thing but just showing you the two different responses to the Lord. And he asked God over and over, prove yourself, Lord, if you're speaking to me, if you're telling me these, to do these things, I got to know it's you. And God did that. God proved himself over and over for Gideon because he had a plan for his people, and Gideon was a part of that plan. But we know in the, in, uh, the beginning of Gideon's story in Scripture, we can tell he kind of didn't have a relationship with God. He, he, that relationship had kind of uh, uh, become a thing of the past. He knew the relationship of God with his ancestors, but he needed his own relationship with the Lord. And I think through his experiences in Scripture, he uh, developed that as he said to the Lord, prove to me that it's you asking me to do this. And I think that lack of relationship affected his response and his trust in the Lord. But by the end of his story, he started to build on that relationship with the Lord. Trusting God takes knowing him. It requires a relationship with him. And, you know, as believers and in my own life, I'm not trying to say we don't have periods of doubt or questions. As believers, that's part of our walk with God, that's part of our humanity. It's part of our relationship with God that he walks through us, even in those seasons of questions and doubt and needing the Lord to kind of talk to us like he did Gideon. But Joseph's example of confident trust in the Lord is just as real of a reality as Gideon's struggles to trust the Lord were. And so both of these are realities of our brokenness and God's faithfulness to us, amen? And we all most likely will experience both of these in our, in our walk with God. I mean, I would rather trust in God, have that confident trust in the Lord like Joseph, but sometimes my reality is a little bit more like Gideon's, amen? And part of trust, specifically in trusting in the Lord, is believing that God has a plan for your life. It seems so simple. But do we really believe that 
God has a plan for each of our lives. And I think Jacob knew that God had a plan for Joseph's life. And I know that Joseph knew God had a plan for his life. And that surety was a result of his relationship with the Lord. And so I wonder, do we believe here this afternoon, those that are listening online, do we believe that God has a plan for each of us? And if you don't know it this morning, God loves you. Amen. His plan for your life came at the price of his. Scripture says that the Lord's ways are higher than our ways, meaning we're not going to understand what the Lord has planned for us. We oftentimes don't even know. Joseph got a little glimpse. He got the dreams. Oftentimes, we, we, we don't know what the Lord has planned for us. But the Lord has a plan for our lives, and it's always good. And so, Lord, I just pray this afternoon that we can trust, Lord, that you can help us to trust you with our lives. Amen. When we look at the little words, with all your heart, kind of working through Proverbs here. The word heart for us, you know, I think of um, Valentine's Day. I think of an organ that pumps blood. You know, I think of certain things when we say trust with all your heart. But the real range of meaning here includes a person's mind and emotions and our will. And so it really means trust in the Lord with all your mind and your emotions and your will. That's it. Doesn't that sound simple? That sounds simple. No, it doesn't sound simple. Um, if it was simple, we, we'd be done here. Uh, but we need to trust in the Lord with kind of our whole being is what I think that that gets at. And I find it interesting that in Joseph's story, you know, as difficult as several years of his life were, there were a lot of ups and downs. Um, we don't read much about him losing trust in the Lord. And I think that's really quite incredible when I think about it because he went from a, a high, high, high mountaintops like the, like the dreams. Those are incredible dreams. And to very, very low valleys. Um, you know, being so, none of what occurred, none of the events that occurred in the aftermath of Joseph's um, dreams were. Uh, uh, none of that was um, indicative of those dreams. It was all the opposite. Go to this high, these high promises from the Lord, and he had so many valley moments. But, you know, and I had some of the valley moments listed here, but we just kind of went through the story together, you know, being sold and and, you know, having his brothers hate him so much and, you know, being uh, thrown into prison and um, waiting in prison for years and years and having someone promise, hey, I'll get you out of prison, and they forget about him. You know, these valley moments. But Joseph trusted in the Lord, and, and he submitted, if I can use the, the range of meaning, he submitted his heart, his mind, his will, and his emotions um, to the Lord. And when we say submitted, it's not this forced sense. It's, it's a surrender. He surrendered his heart, all of his being to the Lord, the one who is perfectly reliable. And I, it, just to 
I'm reminded by this, by Joseph's story in this part of Proverbs, that it is possible to trust like Joseph in the face of disappointments. How many people have those? In the face of unexpected circumstances in life. I mean, this is not just one. There's several in our lives. And even in the face of suffering. I know it seems like Joseph made the best of his circumstances, but nobody can tell me he didn't suffer through this these several years before the Lord fulfilled his dreams. Amen. In this next part, it says, and not lean, sorry, and lean not to your own understanding. Another translation says, do not rely on your own understanding. To trust in the Lord means we have to have, have to have secure confidence in his reliability. And this verse reminds us, and this verse warns us, that when we rely on our own human understanding, which we all do it, this is not to admonish anyone, it's we all do it, but when we rely on our human understanding, it's limited, right? It's selfish, we're selfish, it's unclear. And it's like leaning on something that's unstable or reliable for support. Why would you walk up to a wall you could see it doesn't stand up straight? It, you just know when you lean against it, it's going to fall down. Well, that's the same way. When we rely on our own human understanding, that's essentially what we're doing in our understanding. But to rely on God and not on our own understanding is secure and, we can, and it's confident. We can be confident it will not fall down. We can be confident uh, that the Lord will not fall down on his promises. Amen. In fact, a lot of the other Proverbs uh, talk about how foolish it is, right, to uh, lean on our own human understanding. The next part of the proverb says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. We're coming into that last verse there. This is a call to believers. If you believe in the Lord this afternoon, and if you don't, it's a call to those by the writer of this proverb to live a life in obedience and trust in the Lord in which the believer sees the Lord in every event. I had to read that sentence. This is part of the uh, meaning of the Hebrew word. I had to read that sentence a couple times. The believer sees the Lord in every event. That's what makes a disciple, and a dis or at least it displays in a disciple's life. I'll say it that way. And to submit and to trust him. And I had to think about that. I still kind of feel convicted by it. It's working on me, I guess. And I feel challenged by the Spirit to strive for this part of this proverb. To see the Lord in every life event. This doesn't mean to see the Lord in every event in hindsight. Because we do that, and that's okay. Sometimes things aren't clear. We don't know why. But in hindsight, we can look back and say, I do see the fingerprints of God on that situation. But that's not what this, this meaning, this verse is getting at. It means to see the Lord in our pain. It means to see the Lord 
in our times of suffering. It means to see the Lord in our doubt, in our questions, in, you know, the, the valleys, so to speak. And I believe that is what kept Joseph. It, you know, the last part of this verse talks about how the Lord directs our paths. I believe that Joseph saw the Lord in his present circumstances, in his suffering. And he knew he was not suffering alone. And he knew that the Lord didn't have this suffering for his destruction. And that's part of that relationship piece. And in and, and, and that uh, Joseph had that security in his relationship with the Lord and could say, I know, Lord, you are with me, although my circumstances make it look like it's anything but that. Amen. The path that the Lord guides us down, just like Joseph, it might not be void of obstacles, but Joseph's life is a testament to the fact that the Lord can remove, either remove obstacles and or use the obstacles that are placed in our lives. Amen. If we'll just trust him to guide us down that right path. The last little part of chapter uh, 3 Verse 6 here says, and he shall direct your path. Another meaning of this uh, part of the verse is, he will give you success. Now, all of our ears perk up when I say that, right? We all want success. Samantha already told me when she has her success financially, she told me she won't forget about the little people like me. <laughs> so I'm waiting for her too. I'm waiting, Lord. My lips to the Lord's ears, no. Uh, but let's talk about this word success. Let's talk about what that means here in this verse. Um, earlier in, let's see, I don't have my chapter verse. Oh, it is chapter, chapter 39. I have my verse, but not the chapter. Chapter 39, verse 2 said, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master, um, you know, Potiphar noticing all that he had done, giving him success in everything he did. That's what the scripture says. Again, in verse 21, we read that while he was in prison, it says the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. You know, I'm giving... Joseph, a lot of credit in the story, but you know the success is really because the Lord was with him, right? Those are important words in those verses. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. To rely on our own wisdom, as we've already kind of touched on this afternoon, may result in things that are not good for us. In fact, I think that can be expected. But to rely on God's wisdom for our lives can only result in good because God is good. And all things that come from God uh, are good. That's scripture, amen. We can't be guaranteed that problems in life won't bring obstacles our way. But we can know that when the Lord is with us and we do that surrendering of our hearts, 
to him and let us let him guide us that God can make the way smoother that's another understanding of he shall direct your path he can make it smoother and I think we see that in the life of Joseph Joseph encountered a lot of obstacles in life and in the moment it may not may not have appeared that God was with him you know, we read about how he was sold and, you know, how he was thrown in prison. You know, he, we read about uh, Potiphar's wife going after him and, and, and um, wrongfully accusing him of things he did not do and all these ups and downs. But God can use even these things, these obstacles, to succeed in fulfilling his plan. It's amazing how God can use any situation or any circumstance for his good. Amen? So success in this Proverbs is really not about, this is what I'm getting at right now, it's not about our success being achieved. It's about the success of the plan of the Lord. Amen? So the thought or challenge that I'm bringing to you today However you want to receive this, you know, apply it to your life. The scripture is about applying it to our lives. We know it. We read it. But now apply it. Can I have my um, title slide? The challenge that I bring to you today and for myself is to trust like Joseph. To trust in the Lord like Joseph did, like we read he did. It's something I feel personally a challenge to strive for, to not only know and head knowledge these Proverbs, but to apply them, apply those verses in my life, put action to the words and to live them out. And it's only possible, let's not forget, this is only possible, it's not possible in our own human strength, in our own human understanding, it's only possible with the help and the wisdom that comes from the Lord, amen. And so if you're new to a relationship with God, if, if you're someone that knows the Lord, you have a relationship with him, but you're struggling with what your circumstances look like. You know, I read this, this uh, somewhere along the studies for today that the best way to plan for your future is to trust in the Lord. And so trust God with it. He knows the future. He knows the plan. We don't. And it's kind of funny that we have so much trouble trusting the one that knows the plan. We continue to trust ourselves or someone else's advice. You know, other people's advice can be godly, so don't get me wrong in that. We can seek wisdom and counsel in others, but, you know, it has to come from the Lord. It's got to measure up with his scripture. And it's funny how much we struggle with that, myself included. But I imagine that that's what Joseph must have had to do. There's so many twists and turns in his story, so many high lows, uh, high highs and low lows. But he trusted God because he knew he was the one who knew, knew his future and his plan. And he's the only one that can guide him to get to that point, to fulfill that plan, even if it didn't make sense in the moment. And so this afternoon, if, we, if you all would like to stand or you can stay seated if that's how you're comfortable, I would like us to take the opportunity to seek that wisdom for ourselves 
right here, right now. And I'm just going to invite anyone who'd like to pray. We just call this space down here the altar. Some people like to come and pray and focus uh, down here as we just seek the Lord, seek his wisdom. And if you're comfortable where you are, where you're seated, you can stay right where you are and talk to God. That's all prayer is, just talking to God. And let's just seek him for that wisdom. Let's just ask him to help us with the wisdom we read in Proverbs. And and the way Joseph's story, at least the way that I uh, laid it out this afternoon, the way it challenges us to strive, to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not unto our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. We can believe this individually, Our church is going through transition right now. We can believe this as a body of believers. God, lead and guide us. You are with us, Lord, even if it doesn't look like it. Lord, you're with me in my situation, Lord. You're with me in my pain. The Lord doesn't leave us to figure out our pain and suffering and then come to him and say, oh, I got it straightened out, Lord. Now I can, I can talk to you. I can live for you. No, the Lord is with us in our pain and in our circumstances. And I want to be able to see God in it. Yes, thank you, Jesus. We just love you this afternoon, Lord. We thank you for this presence, your presence, Lord. We thank you for the worship that went up this mor- this afternoon, God. Earlier in our service, your presence, Lord, was so beautiful. God, continue to work on us, Lord. Continue to work on our heart. We understand that as our mind, our emotions, Lord, our will. Lord, help us to surrender. Just surrender it all to you, God. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, the faithfulness we read in Scripture. Lord, that's not just a story. That's the faithfulness of the living God that is here among us right now. Jesus, we worship you, Lord. Thank you, God. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Jesus, your wisdom, God, it's something, Lord, we can't create. Lord, it's something we can't gain through education, Lord. It's something we don't just naturally have, but Lord, your wisdom comes from you. It comes from above, Lord. Help us, Lord, to walk in the wisdom of the word. Jesus, we worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah.